everyone. I'm Tina. And I'm Serena. And we are the Mental Health Mamas. Welcome to No Need to Explain. We are so glad you're here. First, as always, a quick disclaimer. We come to you not as mental health professionals or experts in the field, but rather as parents with lived experience who are on a mission to normalize the conversation around mental health. If you or someone you love is experiencing a mental health crisis, please seek professional support. You'll find a variety of resources in our show notes and on our website, no need to explain podcast.com. Today, we have a guest who is, and I will use the F word, but not the one you think. <laughs> She's famous for so many reasons. We are total fangirls and hopefully not in a creepy way. Uh, We truly respect the way she approaches her family, life, and her work with curiosity and wonder. We're so excited to start the conversation with today's guest. We don't want to waste any more time. Um, Serena, drumroll, jump right in. Yeah. So Kelly Corrigan is a four-time New York Times bestselling author, earning her the title of the Poet Laureate of the Ordinary from the Huffington Post and the Voice of a Generation from O Magazine. Kelly is a fellow podcaster with Kelly Corrigan Wonders and, among other projects, hosts a PBS series called Tell Me More. And we must say that we are super excited that she said yes. We are, and I'm going to be my authentic self and disclose that like most college applicants, we have those guests that we might call our reach guests. And she said, yes. Yeah. So Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? Good, good, good. <laughs> good, good. So, so for those out there who, um, you know, perhaps in an alternate universe who don't know Kelly Corrigan, <laughs> um, we would love for you to tell our listeners um, a little bit of your story. Who is Kelly Corrigan? Well, I mean, if I had to tell you like three things that are super defining, one is that uh, I'm George Corrigan's daughter. Mm-hmm. I had this very unusual dad. He really thought I was great company. He thought I was a conversationalist Mm. and he just wanted me with him wherever he went. It was like, lovey, come to the dry cleaners with me. Lovey, come on. I'm going to go run some errands down the deli. Come on with me. They'll be nicer to me if you're there. (laughs) I would go with him to his dental appointments and just sit in the lobby and look at, and look at uh, highlights. Remember highlights magazine. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the first thing I am is the very lucky kid of somebody who loved her well. And for a long, long time, my dad didn't die till I was 50. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I am the mother of two college girls. Uh, one is going to be a sophomore at Virginia and the other is going to be a senior at Georgetown. So I'm, I'm parenting hard mm-hmm. but in a kind of a specific mm-hmm. way that I didn't sort of see coming, which is I'm learning to, transition from an active participant to an occasional advisor. I mean, even that's overstating it. It's not even Mm. advisor. It's like um, an occasional receiver of uh, stories and thinking, but not really Mm. that my advice is less and less welcome with every <laughs> um, And then the third thing I am is a creative person. So I do love a project. So I've been 
I just finished filming the fourth season of mm. our PBS show. It's called Tell Me More. It's kind of the reboot of Charlie Rose. It's one-on-one long form interviews um, mm. without any alcohol or creepiness. And <laughs> we, and I also have this weekly podcast that I've been doing for a couple of years now called Kelly Corrigan Wonders. And we just passed, I don't know, five and a half million downloads. Wow. So it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty robust uh, set of to do's every week, but I love it because I love working with this producer, this friend of mine, Tammy Stedman, who is just so talented. She won an Oscar out of film school. She's like a dream to be with. And maybe as you guys experience, like the, there, there are no lines between our friendship and our work. Like we could be, mm-hmm. you know, in tears one minute talking about, some unusual happening in our family life and then the next minute say you know look at that we passed five million downloads that's really good do you think we should change the logo you know as we're like wiping away tears and blowing our nose so that that's kind of who i am Mm. we appreciate all of that and we have watched you on pbs and we've listened to your podcast and we've read your books and we appreciate so much the way you connect with others. And we really love that tagline, tell me more. It's a book title. It's the title of your, of your PBS series. So say more about that. Say more about tell me more. So I have this great friend, my college roommate from university of Richmond is this girl, Tracy Tuttle. And she had a totally different career for 25 years, but what she really wanted, she was a psychology major at Richmond. And then 25 years later, she got a master's in marriage and family therapy. And she's a counselor now, she's a psychologist. And she, in the course of preparing for that degree, I kept saying to her, what are you learning? Tell me everything. Mm. And she Mm. said, well, one thing I'm really learning is that often our first reaction to a person's situation is just totally wrong and it's wrong because you're you're uninformed Mm -hmm. so you're take you're having this Mm -hmm. big strong sense of what the next step should be based on like a on a a headline and you don't understand Mm -hmm. any of the nuance and also especially with kids but even with grown-ups the headline is usually a front for something else like it's not Hmm. a kid and even adults like often are choosing to present the problem as something that sounds kind of rational and defensible and unassailable and then you dig in a little bit and you say tell me more what else go on and maybe after three or four digs you get to the juicy sensitive heart of it Mm. so like an example so so interestingly tracy tell and i were driving to our university of richmond uh, college reunion and my daughter called and she was really upset and she's and tracy had just been telling me this whole concept and i was like yeah yeah i hear you and it kind of it kind of goes to intellectual humility like there's a cockiness that can 
kick in with parenting where you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I know this one. Mm-hmm. Like I've heard this before. I'm ready for this. And then you're just so excited to like mm-hmm. spray your advice all over them. <laughs> and you're wrong. You're just wrong. And you have to believe that you have to internalize the fact that there's more to the story that makes it different from yours and therefore requires a different response. But if you, you're just too excited to solve it, you know, hand me that I'll fix it. Like that attitude is so unproductive. It's, it's cruel because you're stealing their opportunity to solve their own problem, which is the absolute basis of Mm self-esteem. So it's enfeebling, like it's fragilizing, like they're, they're just going to keep coming to you with their problem. And maybe that's what you want in some weird Mm -hmm. level. Like maybe your association of being a parent is saving and solving. And maybe Mm -hmm. this part of parenting that I'm in right now is kind of depressing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is watching and waiting. You know, it's, it's not my business. It's not mine to solve. And I'm not welcome in the process generally. And if I am, I might be doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Like it might, if, if I'm, if I'm the go-to every time, like it might be, it might really feel good. It might feel like I'm in this deep engagement with my kids or that we're, we're really intimate and it's so satisfying and I'm respected and, and requested, like my presence is requested, but it's maybe at like 19 and 21, maybe it would be better if they weren't coming to me. Now that just feels terrible. Mm. I feel, and that's where I am right now. And you know, yeah, I could be wrong about all this and you call me a week <laughs> and a half from now and I could have a whole different idea because I'm like actively trying to work through this on the ground real time. So it could be, it could be really misguided or incomplete. Like there might be a piece of it that I don't see yet, but the tell me more, um, tell me more what else go on. Like you, it's a, it's a never fail setup because you're not advising, you're only surfacing. Yeah, it is definitely, um, so my people are 28 and 24, so I'm a little ahead of you in that. Um, and it is definitely a shift. It is a shift in, um, in fact, we have this thing, because my daughter does call, and I will literally say to her, are you calling for me to listen or are you calling for me to help you problem solve? And so it is a thing we do because she needs somebody to just sometimes let it out. And and you're right, they have to find their people, right? They have to find their people. And we don't always want to hear all the things, do we? Well, there's a lot of stuff that's really, um, I mean, personally, that I can't Mm -hmm. handle. Yeah. Like there's a lot of detail of a, of a 20 year old's life or a 19 year old's life. That's like really, you know, Mm -hmm. it'll just keep me up all night. Yeah. I'm sort of prone to worry. And, and, and the other thing you're depriving them of. So this is the first thing I think about is like, don't steal that moment from them. Like whoopee, Mm -hmm. like you solved their problem. Now you Mm -hmm. get the hit of Mm self-esteem. Like I don't need any more self-esteem. (laughs) Like I'm not in development right now. And the other thing you deprive them of is the intimacy with their peers. Like, you know, I, I didn't, my mom wasn't really open for business in this way. Like she, she wasn't craving that kind of conversation the way I am. 
and didn't, it's not what she wanted at all. She really approached parenting as a, a job with serious consequences. It was not a mushy, gushy, mm. lovey dovey, let's snuggle on the sofa and talk about crushes and, you know, regrets and people I had sex with mm. that I wish I hadn't. I mean, no way, not once, never. Mm. And I think about what are those, where are those needs in me coming from? I'm shocked at how much, how hard it is for me to back away because I, ha I do have, you know, a lot of work. I mean, I have a more than a full-time job and I like it a lot. And still, I, it just, it's still so forward in my mind that I have to actively say like, like for instance, George is trying to decide whether to take a job offer right now. Mm -hmm. It's her first job ever out of college. So she'll be a senior right now, but she, she did an internship this summer and she got an offer. I mean, do you think I don't want to mm -hmm. dig into that with her? You're crazy. Mm -hmm. Like I, I mostly, I don't want to drive the outcome, but I'm just so curious. I mean, it's not unlike when she was applying to colleges. Like I found that topic irresistible, like so interesting. Like where are you gonna live mm -hmm. in the country? And do you care about whether there's 400 people in your classes or 30? Mm -hmm. What do you think you wanna major in? But unfortunately, like a lot of that lands as uh, grinding them down, pummeling them with questions, pressuring them. You know, because the unfortunately you're in the context of the world and the world is very good at making noise about where you're going to go to college mm -hmm. and what your job's going to be. Mm -hmm. So you are, they're already like on their heels. They're already done talking about it by the mm -hmm. time they get to you. And so I, I really have to like turn my mind. Like it's almost, I imagine, you know, those, um, in retail stores, you know, those display units mm -hmm. that rotate, you know, mm -hmm. like they have cards in them or something. You can rotate from birthdays to uh, sympathy to anniversary. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I have to, it's like, that's mm -hmm. almost the image in my head is when I'm stewing on like, oh, I can't believe I'm going to discuss this. Like she's going to do it or not do it, <laughs> you know? And then I just mm -hmm. turn the wheel. And I'm like, what's on your, what's in front of you, Kelly? Like how, what's your next job to do? Who's your next guest to book? What's your next book to read, to prep? Like go back, go back to your mm. stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, mm. it's really interesting because, um, you know, like you, Tina, and I spend a lot of time supporting and not supporting, but, you know, talking to other people and, um, you know, uh, sort of trying to um get them to tell us more um and i i feel like i'm pretty good at that mm -hmm. with people i'm not related to <laughs> um and so i have a 20 year old a 13 year old and a seven year old so i'm in very varied stages of parenting <laughs> so the 20 year old absolutely i hear exactly what you're saying and i would say my 13 year old does want me to fix everything um and that's a it's a fight to get <laughs> to try to fix some of her own stuff but um yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I think I just I want to share. Um, I want to quote you to yourself here. Uh, 
And uh, so Uh one of the best things about hosting a podcast um, is that we get to connect with really interesting people all over the world and learn more about their stories. Um, So you've been quoted as saying, I did become interesting, but only in the way that we're all interesting. So can you say more about that? Well, that is really the, that's really the revelation of a lifetime. And I, I think I came to it early because I, Tracy Tuttle was my freshman year roommate and then something happened with her housing and she had to move off campus. And Mary Corrigan was like, absolutely not over my dead body. We live off campus. And so I had to live with like basically a stranger. And I remember, you know, I mean, I shed tears over it. It was like, Oh my God, my life is ruined. Everything was so perfect freshman year. And I'm going in this crazy situation and I'm living in this dorm that I don't know anyone else in there and whatever. Of course it had, it had no impact. Except that, you know, you you went to sleep every night getting to know somebody that you didn't Mm. plan on getting to know. And then I traveled a bunch after college. Tracy Dettel and I went traveling for over a year, you know, and you just meet 20 people a day when you're traveling. I mean, a hostel is like one of the greatest life experiences I could offer someone. And it's just so social and I'm such an extrovert. And everybody has a story. I mean, I wrote this children's book called Hello World, which is essentially a, a graduation present for grownups and then a great little book for kids. And it was all about asking questions, like become a great question asker and you will have a great life because what you will discover is that literally everybody that you are ever sitting next to has something fascinating to tell you. But mm-hmm. you, that's you don't know that. And it's so it's so unfortunately natural, instinctive to um, judge a book by its cover. Like that, that's why it's an adage. And but there's so much inside every person. And I find, I mean, I think at least one of my kids, but maybe both of them, would say that I ask a lot of questions and may, maybe one or two too many. But I don't, that's not what's coming back to me. Like when I ask a lot of questions, I'm not feeling hesitation. I'm feeling relief. I'm feeling like this person hasn't been asked enough questions in their life, that people have not shown enough interest in them, that they are dying to tell you about their twin brother or about the time they had to move in sixth grade or their mother's bout with cancer or their grandfather who they loved who lived on a farm. Like, I haven't met many people who aren't um, flattered and set free by a good round of questions. And it comes really naturally to me, which is why I have two different interview outlets in my life with the podcast and the PBS show. But I really believe that. I really believe that you can't, you can't find somebody that doesn't have something to tell you. Mm-hmm. And we find that that's where the connection point is, right? When people want to tell you things or you care enough to ask, that's where we connect. Um, And like Serena said, we did support parents for a long time and we don't actively do it right this minute um, as a job, but uh, it really is. and, And we love that. So let's turn back to your PBS series, Tell Me More. And you have something called Plus One. Yeah. So in, 
In this segment, you invite your guests to share their plus one, someone they know, admire, respect, either personally or professionally, who've influenced their lives. And we wonder if anyone's ever asked you that question, who's your plus one? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, there's just so many people yeah. in my life that I'm so grateful for. But, you know, recently, like a, a huge inspiration for me is somebody like Dave Eggers, who is so prolific as a writer and could literally just walk around being Dave Eggers for the rest of his life. And somehow he has made all this time. He's the co-founder of 15 nonprofits Mm. like 826 Valencia, which is a 20 year old tutoring program. Uh, And they have 71 locations that use that model worldwide. And then he has a thing called scholar match where he's trying to help kids who are first generation college kids get find the right school and then stay in it and graduate so i guess the graduation rate for first generation students is like 20 percent because they they don't there's a lot you need to get through college Mm -hmm. like it we know because you just think about all the things you do for your kids to help them get Mm -hmm. through college including like buying amtrak tickets to get from new york to georgetown or charlottesville Mm -hmm. or these unexpected expenses for all the books for like the weird situation where they're getting um, an incomplete in the class and they don't know how to navigate the registrar, Mm -hmm. dot, 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 dot. Think of everything you've ever done for your kids. And then think about a kid whose parents never went to college, have no idea what a registrar is Mm -hmm. and do not have $180 for an Amtrak ticket. Mm -hmm. And they just bounce out. Like they hit one or two bumps and they manage them and they hit the third bump and it's over. And so he's scholar matches, just these coaches who stick with you for all four years and get you through, you know, they act like we act with our kids, they problem solve. And um, so anyway, that idea that you could be more than just a writer, that, that it wasn't, it wasn't really enough to just publish your own work and stroll around being Kelly Corrigan was super impactful for me like the coolest thing about him i thought even though i really admire his writing was that he did more than write and that has changed like my sense of what a day should include and what any like given work period any like two or three year period should include so i did this thing for a long time 12 years called notes and words and we had it was a concert in Oakland at the Fox Theater. We had 2,000 people showed up. Our, our record-breaking night was we raised $3 million in a night mm. for Children's Hospital Oakland, which is a very worthy organization. And they treat the kids that nobody wants to treat, kids with no insurance, kids with really serious problems or chronic problems that are going to cost a fortune over, over the years. Mm-hmm. But nobody else wants them, and so Children's takes them. And we had three musical guests and three writers and we alternate on stage to put on this show and you know i'm much prouder of that than i am of any book i've written mm-hmm. so people who do more than they are they have to do i find really kind of inspiring i have this cousin named lena zentgraf who is that person at a at a micro level like every room she's in she makes better she she sees the trash she just quietly takes it out she sees the jacket out she just quietly hangs it up while she keeps the flow of conversation going she we would i was painting a lot in the pandemic in my garage and 
she just showed up and made some little burrata toast and brought it outside and sat down with me and brought this little little speaker and started playing music and I just was looking at it and she was in this the light was coming into my garage in a certain way and when you're painting you're very hyper aware of light and shadows and the color of people's cheeks and eyes and I was just staring at her thinking like you're the best person you're like that person everywhere you go you're like that person who just makes things quietly a little bit better Mm. wouldn't know how to do it any different wouldn't know how to be in a room with a coat and not hang it up Mm -hmm. so those are two people that i think about a lot Mm. that i aspire to be more like yeah that's amazing so I'm gonna I'm gonna shift gears for us a little bit again here um, and talk about um, what we are all about uh, the feels and mental health as the mental health mamas and you you acknowledge this um, earlier um, the idea that you worry constantly and I'm I'm quoting from your website you say I worry constantly about my husband getting in a car accident or my kids getting snatched by a desperado or a mole on my nose turning out to be the thing that does me in however I believe worry is the backside of gratitude so that means that when I get anxious I'm actually acutely feeling my good fortune and clinging to it with both hands so first of all what a what a beautiful quote and uh, I love the the reframing of worry because I'm a total worrier so I can relate to all of that, um, that rabbit hole of, uh, or spiraling as Tina and I like to call it. Um, and that, you know, I would say there's certainly always something to worry about, uh, especially right now in our world. Um, can you talk more about the sense of worry you have? Well, I'm working on it. I'm listening to, I'm, I'm going, I'm kind of throwing Buddhism at it mm-hmm. and, and really working on detachment. So when I was 30, I had a panic attack in a meeting in New York. I had gone out the night before, had a little hangover. I, I probably had 20 ounces of coffee before the meeting. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I knew, I, I thought I was like losing my mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack, but it's such a strange feeling. I had no idea it was possible to to feel that way. and. You know, words were coming out of my mouth and I was staying in my seat, but I was plotting the whole time. of Like, how am I going to get out of this room and find an ambulance? Like, I'm just going to go down the elevator. I I decided I would not bring my things and I would just hail an ambulance Mm. and and say, I I don't know what's happening, but I, somebody has got to like, look at my brain somehow. Like you got to hook me up to an EEG or a MRI or something. Mm -hmm. And when I came home, I thought a lot about the power we have to affect our physical state. Mm. And I have this friend I really respect, his name's Joel Leslanian, and he, his daughter has type one diabetes and you know, they've, they've had, um, his, his younger daughter had cancer at, a, at, a thir- at 13 and you know, they have different aches and pains themselves. And he's the first of probably 10 people that I totally respect who said, I believe the mind can do anything to the body. Mm. And one of those other 10 people is Samantha Power, who was Obama's ambassador to the UN and is now runs USAID. And I interviewed her for PBS and she said she had a backache 
you know, for 20 years. Mm. And she finally went to therapy and she said, sometimes a backache is not a backache. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's kind of urgent, actually, that people who worry, um, you know, go after it, address it, um, like create it as a real to do. Like you can't live that way. It's obviously utterly unproductive. Mm-hmm. It changes zero outcomes. And also it can really damage you. I mean, mm-hmm. you can really do things to yourself. And I do, I do, I know so many parents right now who are so scared about really big stuff with their kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like heartbreaking. Yeah. And these are like the best parents I know. These are people that are like, I've admired for 20 years, mm-hmm. the way they do it, how graceful they are about it. And they're still like, I mean, people are scared to death. Mm-hmm. They're super scared of suicide. Mm-hmm. Like a mm-hmm. lot of people I know are secretly afraid that their kid's going to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. That is so sad. And a lot of people I know are either wondering about medication or their kid's on medication and they're wondering if it's really working mm-hmm. or if they should change it. Like This is a weird time, but my, none of my parents' friends went through this, I don't think. I just don't, I don't think that they, first of all, I don't think they were exposed to our lives the way that we're exposed to our kids' lives. And you know, all, if you're, if you have an imagination, all you need is like a couple good plot points and you can really tell yourself a story. (laughs) You can, you can spin it out into something awful. And sometimes I'll say something to my husband and he'll be looking at me like, whoa, like you, you have really taken this, Mm. you know, you've really applied the full force of your imagination to this and you've really created a very convincing story and that's what the therapist said who i went to see after i had the panic attack she said you have uh like a a crystallized imagination (laughs) and you're only using it for ill you're only using it to freak yourself out why don't you try creating two realities one is your worst case but one is the best case. Mm-hmm. And then if you can start believing in that best case, which includes truths like life is the best teacher, like you are not going to save your kid from the bad relationship, from the binge drinking, from eating strangely, from turning down a great job or saying yes to a bad job. Like these are not, this is not yours, your work to do. Mm -hmm. And if you could, what I'm working on, that it's actually better for her to live it out. It's better for her to have a bad relationship right now than to not. It's Mm -hmm. not about avoiding these things. Take the job, hate the job, quit the job, Mm -hmm. find the job, take the guy, dump the guy, get dumped by the guy, discover who what kind of guy you want next try the next one like this all must happen must Mm -hmm. be this way if you can get into it like that like it's like like you're almost cheering for it the thing you were so afraid of and Mm -hmm. and trying to have her sidestep you're actually kind of pushing her towards it Mm -hmm. like find it find the only way to find yourself is to do these to take these steps well and we would say um 
it, we're all about the mental health, right? And I think finding the tools that are going to serve you, um, we totally get the worry. Um, there's so much out there about it, about the worry, about the stories we tell ourselves. We had a guest who talked about their inner narrator and, um, yeah, so so we get that. And I, and I agree with you, you know, as I said, we're in, I'm a little bit ahead of you, but, you know, I've, I've got the opportunity to meet your family and mm-hmm. your girls are, you're, you're adulting adults, which is a whole, a whole thing. And, you know, I feel like it's about building that toolbox and then continually building the toolbox. Um, I spoke to a bunch of parents last spring and I saw their worry. I saw the, you know, we heard all the questions and I literally was sitting there as a parent of someone who's been through this and to say, you know, we've, we've carried their toolbox. We've put things in their toolbox before, and now it's their time to grab the toolbox and put in the things that they need to. And you're so right about that. You're so right about that. They do need to experience life. Um, and I think we did, we did. I I don't know about you and your mom and greedy, but we didn't acknowledge mental health in our day at all. Um, you know, my mom, I have to say my mom was so incredible when I had this panic attack. So I was in New York. I came home to Philadelphia. I got myself to the kitchen table in Villanova, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. We were alone in the house. I was so scared to tell her. I had no idea what it was. I'd never heard of anything like it. Mm-hmm. And I just started crying. I said, something weird happened to me mm-hmm. in New York. And I mean, I thought I was going crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, And I just said, I, I don't know what it was, but like my head felt this way and I was trying to get out of the room. And I don't even know what I said. I can't, I was like completely separated from the person who was talking and blah, blah, blah. And she was just standing at the counter and she said, um, okay okay she kept saying okay i was like it's okay like you're not Mm. freaking out right now Mm. Mm -hmm. and she said you know what i'm gonna go get your father's insurance card and we're gonna find a person that you can talk to about this because i'm sure there are a lot of people who know all about this and i was like that's awesome like i feel like i just something happened to me that's never happened in the history of man Mm -hmm. i don't think there are people who know what i'm talking about Mm-hmm. She got on the phone. She found somebody who was nearby. She that person didn't have an appointment available for a week. She's like, "That's not going to work. We want an appointment tomorrow." Often, she could dun 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 down the list, finding the person, finding the person. Drove me over to some lady's house in the snow. Sat out front. I went in and talked to her. She said, "This is called a panic attack." I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, there's a name for it." Mm-hmm. If there's a name for it, and like there's an entry in a book about it. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm halfway home. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Came outside. She was, and I said, I don't think I can go back to San Francisco right now. And she said, that's fine. Let's just move your ticket. And she was, I don't, I, I mean, there's nobody I would rather have in a crisis than my mom, including my dad. Mm-hmm. Like she, she's, she was incredible. She doesn't know anything about that. She'd never mm-hmm. been to a therapist mm-hmm. and, and she nailed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm thankful we're in a different time now than we were for sure. Um, and I will say I've had a panic attack and they're awful, totally awful. Um, and I love that you speak so normally about therapy because it it is one of the tools in lots of our boxes. So, yeah. Yeah. But do you ever, I, I mean, I'm so, I'm so weirded out right now about 
the number of people on medication Mm -hmm. only because I'm so afraid that there might be some corporate manipulation going on. Mm -hmm. Like, I definitely think that it's, it can be super effective for some people, but I mean, I think the efficacy is like 50, 50. And I was just watching dope sick, Mm -hmm. which is all about the opioid epidemic. And it really dramatizes exactly how it happens that all of a sudden everybody's getting a prescription for 30 fentanyl pills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are in a, in a capitalist, capitalist society, and there is a really strong profit motive. Mm -hmm. And if you combine that with the deep desire for somebody to fix it with a pill, Mm-hmm. which I couldn't be more empathetic to. Like if if that woman I went to that, that snowy day in Villanova had said, here's a pill, I'd be like, oh my God, fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm a real fan of Johan Hari. Have you read uh, Lost Connections? Mm-mm. I am not. Nope. He's a British guy and I've had him on the pod and he wrote this book about he was on antidepressants for, and I'm totally, I, I don't, I don't want to start a firestorm about being against mm-hmm. medication because I'm not, I'm just curious about mm-hmm. all the forces that have generated this. And so his book was just kind of interesting because he was on antidepressants for a long, long time. And, and I think they were essential to his recovery and then he started to wonder like what else could there be mm-hmm. and he identified these nine kinds of connections that used to be more commonplace and are still more commonplace around the world like connection to nature connection to each other connection to our bodies and he makes these really simple arguments that connection to purpose like that in some countries you know, that the prescription for uh, depression would be like, we're going to give you a cow, mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. need something to do and something to care for and something to get out of bed for that mm-hmm. needs you. And mm-hmm. this is, this is now your work. Or he tells this great story about um, a psychiatrist who said uh, that they would only take new patients if each patient committed to doing one hour of work in his community garden after each session. So you had to Mm. sign up for two hours, one hour in the chair, one hour in the garden. And in the garden, you're working with others towards a collective goal. You're seeing growth that you're responsible for. You Mm -hmm. have this kind of interesting purpose and this proof positive that your efforts can yield and, you know, they had sunflowers in there, which just grow to such insane heights. It's like, I don't know, you can't quite feel as, as dim mm-hmm. looking at a, a seven-foot-tall sunflower with a, mm-hmm. a face as big as a dinner plate. I mean, I'm, I don't want to minimize it. So I know that there are people for whom, like, growing sunflowers is, like, not going to work. Right. Mm-hmm. I get mm-hmm. that. I totally get that. And I thank God for medication. But it's just a question I, I, mm. I'm always thinking about. Well, and it's such a such an interesting question because um as a as a parent with kids who are medicated, um, 
who, so my 13-year-old struggled from 18 months of age with um, behavioral challenges with, so interestingly, a lot of it I attribute to overstimulation, which I, I can circle back to sort of the the changes in our world, right? So that like going to, you know, a big box store with bright lights and all the things um, would literally make her vomit because she would just get totally overwhelmed because her little system couldn't handle that. Um, and ultimately, we decided on medication, but it took us years to get to that that point. Um, and I don't love it, but it um, <laughs> kind of helps her function in the world as it is right now. Well, that stimulation thing, I, I, the other thing I worry to death about, which I know I'm in the massive majority, is just a total loss of focus. Mm-hmm. Like it's really, it's really hard for me as a user of social media and technology to stay in one thing. Mm-hmm. Like just now, while you were talking, I looked at my, a text came in <laughs> and I saw, I saw the little one come up. Yep. And I just was really curious, like, what is it? And then I instantly closed it, like Kelly, like stay where you are. <laughs> and when I start a book, I have to put the phone like two rooms away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, so I feel as a grown up who didn't grow up this way, mm-hmm. you know, who wasn't reared with a phone in my hand, I feel really challenged by it. Like when I get in bed at night, I, a lot of times the last thing I do is scroll through Instagram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though like I'm, I'm a big girl and I talk to a lot of people who <laughs> Tell me that, that, you know, like there's nothing better for you than, than just a couple pages of a book. And I love books. So I don't even know what it's like for those guys who, who think like, and I, and I'm very aware of it because the PBS show is 30 minutes (laughs) and my kids are like 30 minutes. Like it's a 30 minute conversation. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, we started at an hour. The first three episodes with Brian Stevenson, Jen Garner, and James Corden were an hour. Yeah. And even PBS was like an hour is too long. I'm like, Mm. that's crazy. (laughs) Like as if we have so much to do. And it's like, well, you do because you have this nook and cranny stuff that can just explode to fill all your time. You know, that Parkinson's law, like things expand to fill the space they're given. Mm-hmm. Like I always picture that. I always picture like the gas in the bell jar. Mm-hmm. It just starts small and just fills the entire bell jar. And it's like, that's what's happened is this little device is just filled. It fills everything. So true. And focus, like long, long thought is kind of where it's at. And maybe the whole reason that I like podcasting and doing the PBS thing is because it puts me in long thought conversations frequently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to talk for an hour. Right. That's like, that's not what's, when I hang up, I'm going to go into like 30 seconds, 10 seconds, 12 seconds, 14 seconds. Like every little thing I do is five seconds, 14 seconds. You know, like in, inside a minute, I'm going to do five things. For 60 minutes, I'm talking to you. And that's good for me. I mean, I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even, even though when you asked for it, I was like, oh boy, 60 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. so programmed, but I'm so susceptible to the messaging of the world. That's like, God, do you really have 60 minutes? And it's like, who do you 
think you are? Of course you have 60 minutes. <laughs> God, you're not like running the country. But people think like... The, 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 Thank goodness. It's crazy. Um, so it's weird. It, it's like a weird time in terms of the way that we evaluate minutes and hours. Yeah. Like we value doing 43 things in a minute instead of doing one. Right. But that's mm-hmm. so unfulfilling. That's like time confetti. Somebody had the term time confetti, mm. which has like no meaning. It's like poof, up in the air, down on the floor, then it's in the trash bin. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. It's not memorable. And I, and I have said before that with Children's Hospital, when I was asking people to volunteer and donate, I was like, I want them to feel it. I don't want to ask everyone I know to like drop off a bag of books at Children's Hospital so that the, the hospital library is like teeming with great stuff because it's just a to-do. It's just this annoying thing. It's like a nice idea, but then when you're actually doing it, you can't find a parking space and you throw on the hazards and you're afraid you're going to get a parking ticket and you run it in, run out, and it's just like another thing and you got to go to the dry cleaners. It's more or less starts to feel like the same as going to the dry cleaners. Hmm. And it's like, then these kids in our town would go to Mexico for a week and build houses. And I'll never forget it. They'll, they'll, they'll think about it when they're 80 years old. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to be thinking about dropping the books off when they're 80. They don't even think about They don't even remember it when they put their head on the pillow that night. Mm-hmm. So only this kind of thing, long form interaction, long thought, long effort, mm-hmm. has staying power in our psyches. Like this is the only satisfying thing. There's nothing about doing 43 things inside an hour that will feel good. Mm-hmm. It's it's just um, a race, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about your podcast, which is incredibly active. You drop, I believe, three episodes a week. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us what you're working on right now. So Kelly Corgan Wonders was a, pandemic project mm-hmm. that I started with this great friend of mine named Susan George. And we thought what we were going to do was share stories of loss. So we were just going to have somebody on there would talk about one person that they lost mm-hmm. and loved. And that, and that morphed because my husband said, you're going to get tired of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to get redundant. Even if you love it for a year, you're still going to, want to cycle out of it. And he said, I, I know you because I've, I watch what's interesting to you and it's pretty varied. So then we had this idea of like, well, maybe we do these little series, like four episodes on this, 10 episodes on that, seven mm-hmm. episodes on the next thing. And that's where, and that's where we ended up. So the first set of four was um, conventional wisdom that's not that wise. Mm. So we took four idioms and challenged them, like never give up or what you don't know can't hurt you, or everything happens for a reason, et cetera. And we picked a guest and had them come on and and really unpack the flawed thinking inside a lot of adages that we pass along. Then the next set was what is always true under any circumstances, even these, which was you know a nod to the pandemic, but sadly has <laughs> become kind of endlessly applicable. Mm. Um, And then we started doing other questions. Like right now we're doing a series on the environment. And basically the question is like, what's working now? Mm. Because, you know, the the news 
it's a lot easier to tell a story about a flood or a fire than it is to tell a story about a tiny success somewhere. We went and found five teenagers who are doing great stuff. Mm. And we, we're sort of trying to leverage the American Idol model mm. where it's like mm-hmm. a thrill to watch young people achieve great things. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're doing now. We have a series coming up this fall called Live from College where Tammy, who's my producer, Tammy and I went to 15 colleges. We talked to the kids, we sat in on a class, and then we went and interviewed a professor. And the Mm. question that's underneath it is, what is the point of a liberal arts education Mm. in 2022? Mm. That was a blast. We're doing a a thing on parenting. So I I really like Julie Lithcott Hames, and um, she wrote How to Raise an Adult in Your Turn. And... um, we've had a really good time talking to each other. I like Lisa Demore a lot. So those two um, have been helping me think out loud about parenting. I mean, I was thinking as we were having this conversation that I might run this through my pod as well, if you don't mind, because mm-hmm. it's so valuable, I think, to just keep the conversation going between all of us about where we fit into the picture at which, at which stages of our kids Mm -hmm. and young adults development in the world. Um, So I'm curious about that. I've had a, I had a set of writers on that was really about um, what, what, what wisdom have you pulled from fiction? Mm. Like what are you, Mm. what are you able to do in fiction and explore in fiction that can't be done in any other medium? Mm. So it's an awesome uh, project. I mean, I I find it endlessly satisfying. And I hear from people everywhere I go. um, It's super gratifying, super fulfilling. That's awesome. Do you guys like podcasting? We love Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we started, honestly, again, we started during the pandemic because we couldn't sit face to face with our people anymore and help them hold the hard stuff. And we weren't about putting things into the world. And we're like, darn, we need to shift Mm -hmm. our perspective here. And I don't, it, you know, I feel like, you know, it's, it's clear because we've said it a million times, you know, we have kids who struggle and I don't ever ask why my kids struggled. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? Mm -hmm. What's, what's my pain into purpose moment. And, uh, and this definitely fulfills that. And we have heard from people, um, literally all over the world mm-hmm. who are like, yeah, we need to keep talking about mental health. We need to keep thinking. And this is my next question to you, right? About how we all take better care of ourselves. And you have a lot of balls in the air. You've been through a lot of stuff in your life. What are your go-tos to take good care of yourself? I love work. I, I can't imagine ever stopping work. Mm. And I think what's underneath that is like feeling useful. Mm-hmm. Like I th- think that's like my raison d'etre. Um, but I, I, the other thing I, the other thing I don't have is because I left the Bay Area, so I don't have notes and words anymore. Mm-hmm. That event that we used to do for Children's Hospital, mm-hmm. it's still going, but I am not involved in it that much. And I, so I need a new thing like that to get involved in and have a couple that I'm kind of auditioning in my mind and people I'm talking to. And, um, 
So I, I definitely want to find that. And I kind of want to find something that Edward, my husband, and I can do together. Mm. Mm-hmm. This was with all these people. They're maybe 10 years older than I am. And it seemed like they were all really connected to their spouses through some nonprofit that they're both deeply committed to. Mm. And I, I like that idea. I like the idea of, and, and it's sort of to the original point of stopping spending all my time with my husband talking about our children and turning and facing the world together Mm. and spend all our time talking about the world. Mm. Like it is not um, conducive to decrease worry to spend every minute with your husband talking about your children. (laughs) And so I want to replace our favorite subject of conversation with something that is to the greater good. Mm. That's my big theory. And I have this idea. I just got it. And I'm, I'm kind of excited to do it, to see if I can hook him on it. Um, he's not as, he's not as easily um, persuaded as I wish he was. I mean, I, I guess I'm glad that, I guess I'm glad that he has a backbone, but it won't be like a snap to get him to buy into this. I have to be very, uh, strategic about the way I roll it out. So don't tell him. <laughs> we won't <laughs> tell him. Lay in the groundwork for a big catch. Uh, secret safe with us. <laughs> so before we bring this episode to a close, uh, we wonder if there's anything that we haven't asked you that you would like to put out to the world. I would really love if people would go to pbs.org slash Kelly mm-hmm. and get engaged with the show. I think that it um, has done a great job of reaching a slightly older audience and that um, people our age haven't found it yet mm. because they don't watch typically watch PBS yet. <laughs> so the episodes are so, I'm so proud of them, mostly because I think the guests we've been able to sit down with are just extraordinary people mm. um i mean you're not going to find anybody more inspiring than brian stevenson mm. so it's, mm. if that's your pilot episode you know you're in the right place but the the production work on them is so fantastic like it's they, they really work to put each conversation into a larger context so it's not like oh, i'm so interested in samantha power i'm going to sit down and watch this 30 minute episode it's more like i'm interested in how america decides what to get involved in around the world and what they don't. And that's why I'm going to watch this conversation with this knowledgeable person. And for instance, we just recorded with Cecile Richards, who used to run Planned Parenthood. We recorded with uh, Selma Blair, who's a young actress who's been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Mm, yeah, yeah. And then we recorded with Dave Eggers, the writer and activist. And mm. I don't think you have to be that interested in any of those people because we don't, it's not like a deep dive into their career and personal profile. It's more, what do you see when you look at the world and what are you doing to make things better? Hmm. And so it's very, it's, that's actually exactly what I'm trying to do with Edward, which is turn shoulder to shoulder and look out. Hmm. It's not about us as individuals. It's about the whole Love that. Because in terms of mental health, I think the smaller you are in the frame, the happier you'll be. Mm. 
Mm. Like I think I think to be nothing, to be tiny, is the best place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to say that I'm near water right now, and I think I used to say to my kids, "I want you to stand on the shore and know that you're not the only thing in the mm. world. It's so much bigger than yourself." Um, so we can't thank you enough for saying yes to our invitation to join us today, and. Um, we certainly come from a place of taking our lived experience and turning pain and experience into purpose uh, with the same curiosity and wonder that you do. That's why we appreciate you so much. You're doing amazing things in the world, including your show. Do you still have your survey um, that you're doing on PBS.org? No, the biggest thing people could do is just subscribe to Kelly Corgan Wonders. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Subscribe to Kelly Corgan Wonders. It's awesome. And, you know, thanks for doing all that you do with um, poignancy and a sense of humor. We all need a sense of humor these days, for for sure. sure. For sure. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. And so podcast friends, we are as always grateful for all of you listening and supporting us. You can help us out by visiting Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, subscribe and share with others. You will find more content on our website, no need to explain podcast.com. And you can also send us a voice message. You could share a bit of your story, tell us what you think of the podcast or just call to say hi. And this is your gentle reminder to take good care of yourself while you're also taking care of your people. Thanks for listening. Bye.